Um, our text for this morning is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. So you may want to open your Bibles and be there um, as we get uh, closer to reading and reflecting on God's Word. He was a, a tender age of seven. And generally, he had confidence and a fun-loving little boy. But, but this particular day, my son Seth was not to be found. He didn't want to be with his father or his father's family. This is how it went. This particular day, I suppose I was in the, the living room, I was sitting on the, the couch, probably Saturday, watching a little bit of football or something, and I just hadn't seen Seth in such a long time and haven't heard that young voice of his, and, and so I just called out to him. Generally, I would hear, coming, Papa, with his seven-year-old voice, and I'd hear those little feet, and there was set. Well, no, nothing came, and so I called out again, and nothing happened, and that was a little odd, so my curiosity, or perhaps even my concern, was increasing, and so I left my couch, and I went to look for Seth. I found Seth. As I went into the dining room, his back was facing me as he was curved into the corner of the back of the dining room. It's a sad sight. So I walked over and began with soft words talking to his back about, how you're doing, buddy? No sound. He wouldn't answer me. I continued to talk with him to his back, that is, words of hope, assurance, words of curiosity, and he sobbed out an answer. He, he said, I haven't done good. I screw up everything. I can't please you or mama. I should, I should just go away. You can imagine what my heart did. And so I began to talk with him even more so. And eventually, his back turned away from me and his face turned toward me. And he put himself into my arms and he cried and I did too. And we didn't say a whole lot to each other, but communicated a ton. And then something strange happened. It wasn't surprising to me that my words would rest on his heart to where there's actual trust in his dad and a, a talking and, uh, to his dad and being reassured by his dad. That wasn't the, it was beautiful, but it wasn't the greatest surprise here. The greatest surprise that was the result of that reassurance. It was almost immediately... His countenance changed, his body animated, and he ran off to play with his siblings. Well, maybe his brother, Joel, but he does have sisters as well. And I just looked at that and, and, and thought, that's the result of when truth really hits the heart, 
Something happens, and as a result, out comes activity. Well, as I was reflecting upon that incident, it happened so many years ago with my adult son, Seth, yesterday before he went off to college again. It just reminded me about, it was like a living parable that was given to us there, how a father would, would be concerned over his child and would pursue his child and speak in such a way that the child would be reassured, reassured of the acceptance and the love and the security found in the father's arms. And then as a result of that kind of experience or security, the child would want to be with the father and the father's family. It's a beautiful living parable, and it's not kept with just Seth. In our book, in our Bible, in our text this morning, 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24, we will see something that is so utterly important for our faith in Christ and our love for each other. So won't you stand, please, in the reading of the word, 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 19, as we read his precious word with hope of hearing his precious voice. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So today's message, today's text, follows on the heels of last week's message and two weeks ago message. This text is found in a context, as all texts are, and you'll find it in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 starts in verses 1 through 3 by talking about what kind of love the Father has for His children. If you ever doubt that, go back and just, just marinate your mind deep within verses 1 through 3. But then verse 4, it starts flowing horizontal and moving out. And it talks about the nature of our love for each other. And 4 through 18 is a tough read at times. Practically, ongoingly, daily living with one another. It talks about an ought. We ought. We must love one another. And this love is not just word or tongue, but action and in truth. 
And this kind of love for one another opens our hearts to each other when we see a need in someone's life. And then we start moving out, and it's sacrificial. We actually lay down our time, our treasure, our lives. We sacrifice. It's inconvenient on the one side, and on the other side could be very risky. And he's commanding us to do that in each other's lives. Now that is a a heavy call on God's people. And so, the writer, John, verses 19 through 24, it's almost like an intermission. You you, you just, you get all of this coming at us, a test of the doctrine of what we're to believe, and a test of devotion and how we are, and a test of loving one another. And and then it's just like, I need intermission. It was kind of like uh, last week or the week before, Lisa and I went to, to watch a movie. We don't normally do this. Gone with the Wind. Has anyone ever seen that one? I couldn't believe it. After two hours, I was saying, Scarlett, would you please stop doing And all of a sudden, it stopped. And this big word came up, intermission. And I looked at Lisa and I said, do you mean that the movie's not over with yet? No, no, there's two more hours. I went, oh, my word. It's kind of like that in the sense that we've gotten so much so far, and now we need to pause. And may this pause, this intermission, help you to just relax and take a, um, an exhale in God's grace and love for you, a reassurance. Here's the message in a sentence. When our heart condemns us, in light of the great demand to love one another, reassurance comes. It comes, and it comes from knowing who God is, obeying what God commands, and then enjoying whom God has given. We'll try to take that point by point, but never lose sight when your heart is condemning you when you have this berating self-talk, criticizing yourself, and all you feel like doing is getting away from people and perhaps even away from the Father in your self-made shelters and turning inward and not saying a word because of this berating self-talk. Turner, you're not a very good pastor You're not a very good person. You think, you say, you love people, and I hear you grumbling, complaining. This is inconvenient. No. We need to hear afresh from God, and we need to see where reassurance comes to His children so that our faith will be strengthened and our love will flow freely to each other. And it's found in this this passage here. Let's start up. From where does our reassurance come? Well, verses 19 through 22 says, it comes from knowing who God is. Picking up in verse 19, it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. That's just another way of saying of God. That's another way of saying a child of God. 
that we are connected to Christ by faith and we are children of God and we know this. And out of that knowledge, out of that, that experiential, confident knowing, we have this reassurance and it comes from knowing who God is. We pick it up in verse 24. Now he's going to give us that reason. He's going to explain it. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I have to confess something, folks. When I was reading this and starting to get some traction in the message and starting to open up my heart, I started thinking, that doesn't give me a whole lot of reassurance. He knows everything. He's greater than my heart. He, he, he knows my inner world, every single inch of it. That didn't give me any assurance. And then I began to think, I actually went back, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and read it again, and then read it again. God is greater than our heart. Our heart is shown to be an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny courtroom in our lives. And it's condemning. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. God is greater than the itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny courtroom. He's the supreme court. Okay, so whatever you say goes. Mm -hmm. That's the point. And now he knows everything. Oh, God, bring forth reassurance in our hearts. As you know everything, turn back with me in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and it goes on and on and on. He knows that you still have indwelling sin. He knows that. He knows everything. It doesn't surprise him. These are his children, and they still have indwelling sin. If we confess our sin, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He knows that. He provided that. And so I hear him say these kinds of words to my heart, and you need to hear him say these kinds of words to your heart in time of need. Nothing is surprising to him. And then look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, you know, I write these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we're not our defense attorney in our itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny courtroom. We don't defend ourselves. We don't vindicate ourselves. We turn away from ourselves, and we turn and look at the advocate who says, Father, I am the righteous one for Dan. I am the righteous one. Look to me. He is innocent. She is innocent who unites herself by faith to Christ. And then it goes on to say, He has provided the propitiation for our sins. He's absorbed every righteous anger against our sin deep into His soul mutilated on the cross. And he comes up and he says, 
I am the answer to their problem. You see? It's, see, the Father knows everything. Of course He knows this. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Look at what kind of love the Father has lavished on you, that you should be called children of God, and that is what we are now. Look at the word now. Emphasize it. Right now, today, at 1059, now. And then it goes on to say, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. What does that mean? Everywhere in this auditorium and all over the world, it has not yet been revealed a person in full consummated righteousness. So he knows that there's progress in his family. He knows this. He knows everything. Reassurance comes by knowing who God is. And the first mini point here is God is merciful. Know it deep in your hearts. Deep, deep in your hearts. Also, as we read on, we know who God is. Not only is He merciful, but notice what happens in this passage. In in verse 20, it says, our heart condemns us. And then in 21, it says, our heart does not condemn us. So, something arrived, something came. It's called reassurance from the Father. And in this state, when our heart does not condemn us, we hear him saying, beloved. We we have confidence. Look at that verse 21. We have confidence before God. And what do we do? We we, we ask anything from him and and we receive it from him. So now now it looks like this, this child who was berating and condemning and criticizing self and cowering away, now emerges with this confidence. And now what do you do with this confidence but you go to the Father and you speak to the Father and you ask from the Father. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. When we know who God is, we know Him to be merciful and we know Him to be kind. We know Him to be kind. We know Him to be generous. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Isn't that beautiful? Now, this isn't some trickery that is occurring here. It's not, it's not like, like we're, we're viewing God as, 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 a, as a big vending machine in heaven where we're going to give a, a dollar of prayer and a dollar of obedience and, and, and we pull the lever and get, I'm not single anymore. <laughs> I'm not anxious anymore. I got a raise at church, or at church, sorry. <laughs> I got a raise at, at, at work. I don't know how I'll recover out of that one. No, we don't look at that at all. What are we asking the Father for? Stay as a child, look into the Father's face. What are you asking Him for? Every single thing you need that you can't create on your own. Father, please give me more grace. Give me more Jesus. Give, give me more strength. Give me more confidence. Give me more of you. Give me more assurance. And you get it. And it's not impersonal. It says, from him. Isn't that beautiful? It's just from Abba, from, from our Father, we, we, we receive a greater dose of grace, a, 
just an influence of him so that we're actually standing before him confident. That is beautiful. That's our prayer life. We know him to be merciful, to be kind. And then at the end of this passage in verse 22, we see that he is pleased. Notice the word. God has a heart. You know that, don't you? He's happy. He's glad. He's pleased. And he looks at his, at his, at his family, and it says those who are keeping his commandments and doing what pleases him. But don't think that you're doing that on your own. He's working his will into his family and producing transformation. And that transformation echoes back to him the radiance of his worth. It, 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 it reflects his glory, his honor, that we would have such a father like that that his children would look different as a result of him visiting them with reassurance. And he loves that. He loves his family. He's watching us right now. He's in here right now, and he is pleased with what he has done for us. That is very prominent for our hearts as we are under a demand to love one another, and we do it imperfectly, and we're experiencing a sense of insecurity or failure or inadequacy. Yep, God is pleased with his family beautiful scene. So reassurance comes in time of need for his children, first through knowing who God is, and then secondly, obeying what God commands. You find that in verse 23. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Do you see anything odd about that sentence? Anything? No. There's, there's a singular commandment. So we're talking about the commandments of God, and then he goes, this is the commandment that, and then he talks about believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and then he inserts this little word, and. And love one another. I'm not good with math, but I, one plus one equals more than one, and yet the noun is just commandment. <laughs> What's going on there? You've got to understand this, that this is the commandment. Believe in Christ and love one another. That's the summation of the Christian life. But we cannot smush these two together so that they are indistinguishable. They are inseparable, but distinguishable. Do you know what I mean by that? They are so brought together that the Bible calls it commandment, singular. But then there's a little word and in there, so it's got to be distinguished. If you do not distinguish those two and, and, and just smush them together... You will move towards horizontal, loving one another, and it's just moralism, and it will kill you, and you'll go to bed thinking you are rotten. The order is vital. One precedes and gives rise to the other, right? 
Let's look at the first one. Believe. This is a commandment, and we're receiving reassurance as we are obeying the commandment. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's a commandment. So resting in, depending upon, believing in, have faith in Jesus. Jesus. A human. Fully human. A man. He actually was on earth over in Israel. And he came through Mary, a virgin, in Bethlehem, a really dinky small town southwest of Jerusalem. Really obscure. He did. He's historical. It happened. And and then he started growing up. And then they, they went up about 120 miles and they stayed in Nazareth. And he started growing up. He was a boy and he had a skinned knee and and, and, and he, he worked with his dad and learned to trade and he ate and he drank. He burped. He went to bed. He slept. He got up. He, he, he was a man. His name was Jesus. B.C. 4, right around there, maybe born right there. And at age 30, he went into this ministry and And he walked with his disciples and he taught them and talked with them and ate with them and and laughed with them and cried with them and, and then went and bled out for them, his disciples. Jesus. Oh, but he was much more than just a human. Much more. God's son. That's what the Bible says right here. And so when you look at that phrase, it takes you back, not to just Genesis 1-1, it takes you way back, eternity past, no beginning, eternal Son of God, whose relationship with His Father has never been broken, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, having matchless love and joy for one another. It's an amazing God we serve. And that's his son, his son, who he sent into this world as the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. Oh, will he ever come? The Jews would say, oh, will he ever come? Century after century. He came. And he is the anointed one. He is the king He is the Christ. He came to pull his people out of bondage and slavery and lead them to the promised land, lead them to paradise, to defeat all despots, to crush all rulers that would be tyranny to his people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you see that in Pharaoh way, way back in Exodus. You see that with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and Antiochus Epiphanes and Herod and all the Roman emperors that were just crushing his people. But it's not mere political. It's not just a physical deliverance from. Look around the world. It's still here. Rather, he came to liberate his people from the oppression 
of Satan, the one who works his awful will in this world and keeps, keeps people in the bondage of sin and death. And so the great king came to lead his people out of that kind of bondage. How? With his sword? Hardly. He went and got pierced by the dragon, and he died. A crucified Christ? It sounds like fried ice. It doesn't make sense. Out from the grave, the Christ arose, and he accomplished everything that our hearts need. Everything. And then 40 days later, after he spoke and trained and taught his people, he went up and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he rules and reigns for all eternity. The Christ. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That last word, we believe in the name. The name. Jesus did all of this to purchase all his people, and as a result, he takes the position of the prominent one, the supreme one, the glorious one. His name, his fame, his reputation, his renown is on full display for the whole universe to look at. And we believe in this one, and out of us comes this kind of worship and praise and adoration. I believe everything you've accomplished, your work, your word, your worth, is all mine. That's belief. That's a command. And he's bringing that about in his people's life through this kind of reassurance so that we gain this ascendancy and confidence to run to Abba, Papa, and ask for more. Amazing, amazing. And out of this, it breaks the spillway, so to speak, and flows out in love for each other. And that's the second part of this. Beloved, when our hearts condemn us, in the midst of the great demand to love one another, to love your spouse, to love your children, to love your parents, to love your grandparents, to love your brothers and sisters at Veritas, to love, reassurance will come. Reassurance comes knowing who God is, obeying what God commands, and finally in verse 24, we see how all of this works its way out. Look back with me into the Bible. Chapter 3, verses tw- verse 24. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. Circle the preposition by. This is the means. This is the instrumentality. All that we've been talking about, we do not generate it in and of ourselves. You will strive in legalism and you will berate yourself from this day forth and forevermore if you don't understand the word by the Spirit whom He has given you. This is the gift. Enjoy the Spirit's work in your life. We don't have time necessarily to talk about this mutual indwelling, but it says, 
we in him and he in us. And there's this mutual abiding back and forth, this relational oneness, inseparable oneness. Inexplicable, I get it. But nevertheless, there is a sense of I've been invaded by God. He has found his home in my heart. And it is well with my soul. And by this comes this assurance and confidence. And from this assurance and confidence, because I love you and I love you guys. That's what that passage is talking about. So how would you land this kind of plane, this message? I mean, we've been soaring up here. How do you put it on the runway? I'm not quite for sure. Maybe I could, could take you through the, the talking points again. And if you weren't writing, go ahead and write those down and then take them to Citigroup tonight and we'll have talking points. And that would be wonderful. We'll, we'll talk about these things and I hope that that happens. But, but is that all? We just get talking points on a piece of paper or a device and then we talk about those things. And No, I think it's going to be something different. Beloved, the way I started this morning was not talking about Seth. I really wasn't. You are Seth. You know that, don't you? And you have felt that, haven't you? You have tried so hard to cover yourself in your self-atoning works. You've gone into a corner, so to speak, trying to find some solace and some shelter because you just don't feel right and good and just is it well with my soul. God loves his children and he sends forth his reassurance through certain avenues. May God, by his word, by the work of presence and power of the Holy Spirit, so take this word that it will actually touch your heart, transforming it from anxious, fretting, jittery, berating, criticizing to calm, confident, assured children. Let's pray. And oh God, that is my prayer. It's not just for the hearers. It's for all. I just love you for that. May you work your word so deep into our hearts that out of our hearts comes this confident assurance of you and your accomplished work. And from that, may your people be loved freely and fully through your spirit in us. Thank you much. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.